This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, welcome to the show. This is Emotional Badass, where Moxie meets Mindful. I'm your host, life coach and psychotherapist, Nikki Eisenhower. And on this week's episode, I'm discussing heart, discernment, therapy, and journal questions. This is one of those episodes that I hope has some nuggets in it for you on the healing journey. These are some of the things that I think are very important and impactful, but they're really hard to name. They're hard to put our finger on. One of the things that I think we learn how to do on the healing journey is listen with our hearts. And that might sound a little hokey or hippy-dippy to you, especially if you're angry or bitter or resentful about something right now. And listening with my heart didn't make sense to me for a very long time. I've had to listen to a lot of healers to hear their little nuggets of wisdom to sort of layer and layer and layer this heart-centered information, this invitation, this direction this guidance to listen with my heart, to live from a heart center so that I could integrate what that meant because I didn't grow up with any of that concept. It didn't make sense to me, almost like someone was speaking a foreign language that I didn't understand. Our mind creates story. It creates story out of our experiences, out of our struggles, out of our fears, out of our insecurities, our desires, our traumas, the stories we've been told by other people, our mind is a story maker. We are very, very heady as a modern human culture. We're spending so much time in our heads, scrolling and scrolling and thinking and thinking, collecting information. And there are other forms of knowledge and we have sort of taken thought knowledge and put it on a pedestal as if it is better, more scientific, tangible, real, and that other forms of knowledge or lenses to move through the world, to look through the world and look at our relating with each other are almost dismissed. When we really heal, when we clear out our old wounds, when we grow and evolve and expand, we almost can't help but become heart-centered. When we're hurt, we build up a lot of walls. 
And we do that to keep pain, discomfort, unknowns, reactive people, hurtful people out. And it kind of works. But it also doesn't let a lot of goodness in. And when we build up walls that block our heart, we might feel protected in terms of our emotional vulnerability. But it's hard to feel like we're really living and flowing with walls around our heart, around our sensitivity, around our vulnerability, around our intuitive qualities. When we're healing, we learn to take down the walls that we built up when we were younger because that's the only thing we knew how to do. And we learn to feel more secure, more resilient, more balanced between mind and heart as we take down each brick in those walls that we built. We need this balance to be healthy people, this balance between head and heart. We can't throw our mind away and just lead from the heart. That's out of balance, has consequence. We're idealistic. We're not realistic when we're doing this. So we need the balance of the head's logic and the heart's logic. As we begin to trust more of our available resiliency that is hard-earned, practiced, reinforced over time, over experience, over making mistakes and correcting, fine-tuning, adjusting, growing, what we're doing is actually the work of deprogramming and reprogramming our nervous systems and how our bodies and minds relate to the world so that we're not living in this constant state of unguardedness that makes us put up armor or walls. We can have boundaries, but we want our boundaries to have doors, locks, windows, sometimes even half doors. We get to be the gatekeepers of locking and unlocking and deciding who we let in to our emotional self just like we get to decide who we let into our homes and who we never ever let into our homes. Learning to move through life and listen with our hearts helps us honor the humanity in ourselves and in others. What we learn to grow into is the truth that we can be just as strong without those built up 18 inch steel walls It's a strange thing to consider that we could be even stronger without such walls, leading with compassion for ourselves and for others. But what if what I'm saying holds water? What if it holds truth? What if it's possible for you? What if you can learn to lead with empathy and compassion and boundaries? What compassion does for us is it helps us connect with other human beings when they have very, very right, I'm making quotes in the air, very right behavior with themselves or with us. And we can connect compassionately when they are in their wrong behavior. Nothing about healing or becoming more spiritual or more heart-centered. Nothing about that is doormat-like. Yet that tends to be the fear when we start to Consider that we need to take down our walls. Well, won't I just be a doormat for other people? 
Shouldn't I have 18 inch walls based on what's happened to me in the past? And that's why we must become heart centered because that mind's logic is almost inarguable. I have lots of proof in my history that I could have pulled to create a story of never trying to date again, never ever being part of a family, never allowing myself, telling myself it would have been stupid to risk vulnerability with another marriage, another serious relationship. Sometimes our best thinking, our best logical-minded self decides that the best thing to do is kind of stop living because risking seems like too much of a price to potentially pay. For me to really heal, I had to leave the, the proof that my mind could grip so rightly and never really disprove. My heart has a logic that defies the thinking mind at times. And I know some of you hearing me out there right now are going, yeah, but how? How do you do it? How? Will you practice? And right now, as I think about my heart, as I process from my heart, I'm sinking into my heart. It's leaving that cloud of thought that swarms our head and becoming more embodied. And if we ask and listen, we might get some answers from a different logic, from that heart logic, if we want to go to the gut, from the gut logic instead of just the head's logic that tends to overvalue fear. My heart, when I asked it, knew that it was wrong for me to wall myself off. My heart knew when my mind couldn't know for me, when my mind was too scared to allow me to even consider. My heart knew that I am a loving being, that I was sent here with a capacity to love a lot, and that I am a worthy being that has always been valuable and worthy, ready to receive a reciprocal love, an unconditional love. My heart knew that if I kept those logical, what my mind thought smart walls up, that I wouldn't really allow myself to live, that that would be allowing my old trauma to control my current present moment, to control my life, to shut down possibility, to convince myself that love and safety, commitment, loyalty, care, consideration, being heard and seen were not available for me. There was just a study that came out saying that SSRIs don't do anything for depression. If I would have kept those walls up, how depressing of a life. I would have made myself live. How depressing for my inner child to have a difficult childhood and then to be stuck watching grown-up me decide to shut down the possibility of my life just because the early part was hard. My heart knew that that was wrong. As we heal, it's inevitable that we learn to listen with our hearts, 
and to guide ourselves, our relationships from that place. What if we can be just as strong as ever and be compassionate? That we can shift from survival mode to thriving, to living, to growing a life, to not shutting ourselves down, to expanding, to trusting our resiliency and our strength, to challenging ourselves to risk in healthy ways that help us live. Nothing about healing, nothing about becoming more heart-centered, more gut-centered, more spiritual makes us a doormat, y'all. It makes us stronger. It makes us live. It makes us more truly self-respecting, self-loving, self-actionable, self-guiding. The next thing I want to talk to you about is permission to practice and live with more discernment as you heal. Maybe you've taken the Myers-Briggs. It's a very easy personality test to take online. And it's a very, very studied old test. Typically, I'm not big on these types of tests because my clientele, people who listen to this show, this audience, we're very complex. And I find that a lot of the instruments that are out there miss a lot of that complexity, which can still be useful to see sort of one or two parts of the pie, the slices of who we are. But the Myers-Briggs does a fascinating job of really pegging us. I am an INFJ. That J means judging, judgment. For a long time, I, haha, judged how judgmental I was because when I was in pain, that superpower of discernment goes dark and we get judgy. We judge ourselves. We're critical with ourselves. We judge others. We're critical with others. We self-lash, we lash others, we expect perfection, then we fail because we can't be perfect, then we're down on ourselves for failing and for not being perfect, and it just continues to get darker, and we dig a darker, deeper hole. Part of healing is learning to allow ourselves to make that natural, judgmental part of ourselves healthy and light. Instead of dark and heavy, critical, shaming. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask them all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? Well, we hear you and we have been there too. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. Who are we? I'm Dr. Jess Steyer, a public health scientist and also co-host of the Unbiased Science Podcast. Every day, I'll chat with one or both of your new pediatrician besties, Dr. Dina DiMaggio, a general pediatrician, and Dr. Anthony Porto, a pediatric gastroenterologist. We'll talk about all the things related to our kids' health, from dealing with a colicky infant to navigating puberty in the teenage years. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, now live on all podcast platforms. Discernment is the lightness of our natural judgment, and we need judgment. If we were abused and neglected, 
in our younger development, we need discernment more than the average person because our system was primed to have manipulation, objectification, abuse, neglect, lack of care. And the human psyche is drawn towards what it knows until it knows something different. So when that is what I knew growing up, that I had to shut up, I couldn't use my voice, or someone would be violent with me, I had to step in line, I had to be the good girl to survive, I had to smush down any kind of judgmental, discerning part of me, which just meant I didn't say it out loud to people and it ate me up on the inside. And then if I said it to people, it came out like torpedoes when I was a young person. So much pressure from so much smushing, it kind of volcanoes or rockets out of us. And then we're shameful. doesn't make sense to have this big empathic heart that has to carry around so much pain. We shift to discernment. Discernment is this natural part of us that we don't need to shame. We need to learn how to work with it and help it be light. Discernment is a permission to hold on to your own sense of authority above all else. When I share a story about my life or something that worked for me therapeutically or worked for my clients even, I'm sharing my truth. It's mine. It belongs to me. It could never belong to you. I share my experience, my story, not because it is the truth or the right thing that will heal, but because it is a truth. It is my truth. It has worked for me or it has worked for my clients. And it offers a possibility of what could work for you. You must use your discernment, not just with me, with every single thing or person, especially that is asking you to spend money with them or to get vulnerable with them, to have any kind of skin in the game with them personally or professionally. You get to hold on to your authority. Cults only work because they know how to manipulate people out of their own authority. They know how to look and sound like the voice of better reason, better godliness, better betterment, whatever that means. And people hand their power, their discernment to that cult leader or to that strict religion or to that abusive partner or to that abusive boss. And they go powerless. Your power is in your discernment. Your healing is in your discernment. What we're reclaiming when we are healing from childhood abuse is that people overpowered us. They used us in different ways for their own egos, glorification. We are learning to take back who we are, who we were always born to be, that we get to have opinions We get to use all of our sensory system, not just our head, to process what's going on. We learn that someone may use the exact right words. We can't find any problem with it. And yet, if our gut says something is off, we can learn to slow down, ask for more information. We can wait. We can get some other wisdom from somewhere else, someone else that we trust. We must give ourselves permission to practice and lean into our discernment to help our system 
learn what is different and resist what it knows from its childhood to break those childhood patterns, to break generational trauma and to break the trauma of this one precious life. Discernment is the key to stopping trauma repetition. And none of us repeat trauma because we liked it. None of us repeat trauma because we have some sick compulsion to want to hurt ourselves. We repeat trauma because it's what we knew. And we go towards what we know. Healing, you listening to my voice right now, is about your heart and your gut knowing that you need to know new things to break that familiarity with the old traumatic stuff that no longer serves you that never did. Those of you who judge yourself as judgy assholes, lean in here. Start to allow yourself to own your powers of discernment. Help your grown-up self and your inner child know that this is not just okay, it's wonderful that you have this kind of ability to judge and that you are going to make it feel lighter and righter inside of yourself so that it is a beautiful tool, not a shaming instrument. There's a lot of therapy out there that just continues to sort of circle the known, that circles the trauma story. Sometimes the deep root of the trauma story gets circled for way too long. Sometimes the sort of outer, more comfortable layers while avoiding the central core issue just gets circled and circled and circled and circled. And many people wonder, I keep going. I keep talking about this stuff. Is it doing any good for me? Is this keeping me in it? Is it moving me past it? I don't know. And sometimes this type of swirling around and swirling around therapy misses what it is missing. What I benefited the most in my therapeutic experiences from were the healers, the teachers, the therapists, the professors, the spiritual leaders that got real nitty gritty truthful with me that showed their mistakes, their flaws and how they moved through. That if their ego showed up, they checked their own ego and did that in front of me. They showed me what maturity was. I hadn't really seen it. The most mature people in my development believed that it wasn't their place to step into the family system and say anything on my behalf or for me. Many of them flooded to me after the secrets of my abuse in childhood came out saying, yeah, they sent something. They knew something was wrong. And no one had ever said anything to me. We need examples of truth speaking. We need examples of discernment practicing. We need examples of real humanity that isn't narcissistic, that can own when they get it wrong. And that's how they learn to get it right. We can't just read about that. We really are wired biologically to be creatures that learn from each other. So whatever trauma we learned it is now our responsibility, and it's okay to be mad at that. It's not fair. It's just the truth of it. No matter what happened to us now in this moment, it is now on us to figure it out, to learn how to let it go, to learn how to learn from it and shift and move forward wiser than yesterday. And we do this by seeing the realness in each other. Good therapy, solid therapy, helpful, useful, forward-moving therapy 
helps us take the bricks from the walls that we built up around our hearts and our vulnerability and breaks down that wall brick by brick. And we take each brick and lay it in front of us. That wall becomes the road. That is our healing road. And good therapy encourages us to take those bricks and repurpose them from wall to road so we can walk the healing path. Your path will not be exactly like mine. Your path is going to be like your path. And there will be many people who cross paths with you along the way. Some people will parallel your road and you might walk it a long time together. And others will just cross paths briefly. And all will have possible nuggets of wisdom for you to learn what to do, what not to do, for you to find curiosity and healthy risk by watching, by witnessing, by learning, by experimenting in your own life. And discernment is a very important tool along the way. What's typical for my mental health profession is that when a client goes to a therapist, particularly a trauma therapist, that client knows nothing about the therapist or very, very, very little. Now, in the future, I might do another episode on, on why this developed this way. There is some rationale to that. And with certain populations, that may be really necessary and beneficial for both parties to have healthiness in the therapeutic relationship. But for highly sensitive people, people with trauma in their attachment, people who must embody reparenting the inner child, those are very, very difficult boundaries because they don't give us an opportunity to practice discernment. So we come from unsafe families and then we stroll into therapist's office. I had many unhelpful at best and full-on kind of quacky, egotistical, narcissistic therapists growing up. It's part of why I wanted to grow up and be a good one. Because we're drawn to what we know instead of what's naturally good for us, which feels like a, a crazy psychological trick played on humanity, I picked lots of therapists that were narcissists. I was raised by them. As I changed and grew and practiced more and more discernment, I found more and more heart-centered healers and helpers in my life. And this validated who I am, who I was born to be, what it is to be human, what it is to connect and be alive. This is part of why I share myself on the show. It gives clients a chance to really practice discernment, to feel their gut, to see if they trust me, if they're intrigued, if something in them says, ooh, this, this lady gets it. She might have something for me. I might be able to take down some of my bricks with her, through her, next to her. There are many wonderful, helpful, healthy, healing therapists, imperfect in their own humanity, and yet very, very effective, who blend their psychology knowledge and background with love, attachment, unconditional positive regard. And people who experience this type of therapeutic reparenting, bond, love, 
they say things like I say about Lisa. Well, she was my therapist, but she was really my mom. She reparented me. Or he fathered me with emotion. And he didn't let me get away with anything. We can have boundaries in this profession and we can be models for our clients, therapists that are out there listening. There's an art form to it. And for you to do it really well, you have to be heart-centered and gut-centered too in your practice and in your work. There are some counseling programs out there that are teaching in this way, this sort of full-bodied, embodied, heart and gut and mind, not just the mind kind of way. I never want you to take my truth just because it's mine. And I use the word expert and so many people out there do. You are the expert on you. Your experience, you are the expert in how things feel, the response in your body when you're met with a bit of information. You get to step into your power. You get to take it back. You get to own it. You get to be discerning. You get to step outside of survival mode and live. Through discernment and heart-centeredness, you can better choose the healers that you let into your life. Through heart-centeredness and discernment, you can better choose where you want people in the theater of your life. Some people, very few precious people, will be first-row people in our lives. Maybe for a short time, maybe forever. Some people, they belong in the third row, sometimes the fifth row. We move people around through life too. Sometimes someone who was a third row person, eh, they get moved back to the 15th row. Some people are 20th row. Some people I've had to ask to stand at the back of my theater. And sometimes I've kicked them out. This is your one precious life. As complex as we can be, as healing can be, I hope that I'm bringing a simplicity to it for you. When you don't know what to do, when you're overwhelmed, a hand on the heart and a hand on the belly and a deep breath, instead of asking your mind and going through head knowledge, asking your heart and gut, please guide me right now. I'm a little lost. And then listening. If you do that right now in this moment and you don't hear anything, that doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. It might just mean your heart and your gut don't know that it's okay to be heard. They've just been so unlistened to for so long. When you put a hand on the heart and a hand on the belly and you say to yourself, to your inner child, I'm listening. What does my heart want for me? I'm listening. I'm here. I know you have wisdom for me. What is it? And you do the same for your gut. If you just keep being with yourself in such a way, slowing down, getting out of the head, inviting those parts to participate, to be heard, ensuring that they will be listened to, comforted, respected, you will start to get an answer. And it may not be like words into your ears. It may be a sense that says, wait, or move forward, make that phone call, go to that interview, 
or skip that phone call, skip that interview. This is how we heal and come back to ourselves. Doing this work has helped me feel whole, W-H-O-L-E, on a level I didn't think my body and my mind, my psyche, my spirit could ever feel. If you're out there listening and you feel very broken, I assure you, you can do this work. You really, really can, and it is worth it. If you are interested in learning more with me, the Boundaries course is coming. We're starting it October 10th. You can still get a very big discount on the course if you pay for it in full by being a Patreon member. And if the way that I teach, if the way that I speak, if the way that I share story helps you unlock certain things about yourself, your healing, humanity, then you will very, very likely fit in like a glove to the boundaries course. It is my foundational course. It is what I think every highly sensitive person needs to navigate this world and their history and be able to live more fully and more presently to honor this one precious life that we get. So if you're interested in learning more, come to emotionalbadass.com backslash boundaries. Come join the Patreon. You can see everything that we have there for you, including all the biggest discounts on everything that we offer. If you're wanting to do some work one-on-one, I am on a waiting list. You are welcome to sign up for that waiting list. But I also have a coach that works with me. I've known her for a very long time, over a decade. She does the work. She has the heart. She has the education. And she has the coaching spirit. And she will hold space for your inner child, for your mind and your body, similarly and differently to how I do. Find out more about her at emotionalbadass.com backslash coaching and look for Crystal Catalina and book with her today. Light and love and discernment. I am an emotional badass. You are an emotional badass. And together, we are where Moxie meets mindful. And you're hearing me tearful from my heart. Thanks for being out there and being our marketing team, sharing the show. We can't do it without you. And we are so grateful. Thank you for helping me live my purpose and spread healing. I'm glad you're on the planet with me. I truly believe we heal the planet one person at a time, starting with ourselves. Thank you for all that you do. Light and love. And I'll see you right here next time. Bye-bye. find it hard to sleep at night then the sleep cove podcast can help you hi i'm christopher fitton the voice and clinical hypnotherapist behind sleep cove sleep cove features sleep hypnosis meditations and bedtime stories all designed to help those of you 
who struggle at night to achieve a restful and peaceful night's sleep. Search for Sleep Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see why Sleep Cove helps millions of people sleep deeply all night long.